A up, it's Matt. You listen to episode 81 of Looking Sideways, the show where I try and find the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavors. Thanks for choosing to spend this hour of your time listening to my latest episode, and I hope you enjoy it. So, episode 81, and it's a personal one for me on a number of levels, really. First, because it's with one of my oldest mates in this whole action sports business, Nick Hamilton. Now, I go way, way back with Nick. We were lucky enough to work together at White Lines back in the late, well, mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Went along with Ed Lee, Chris Moran and Chad Thomas. We spent a glorious period pissing around for a living, putting out what we considered to be the best snowboard mag in the world at the time. Anyway, Nick then was, I guess, headhunted really and moved over to Transworld Snowboarding, first as photo editor and then latterly as content director spending nigh on two decades working on the biggest snowboard mag in the industry and in the process becoming one of the most well-connected and respected men in snowboarding. And throughout that time, I think it's fair to say that all his old mates have looked on with pride as we've seen how well he's done and, um, you know, stayed in touch, worked together on occasion. I've been lucky enough to work for Transworld for, again, almost two decades, a little bit before Nick got a job there, but um, he definitely helped me out with that. You know, I've been I've done features for them. I had a column with them for a while. You know, basically, we're old mates. We've worked together in this industry for 20 years. So all of that would have been subject enough for an episode. And I have been chatting to Nick for months now, trying to work out when we'd be able to sit down and uh, discuss his entire career. Then a month or so into the season, news broke that Transworld, um, Transworld's parent company had been taken over by the American Media Group and that two things were happening. A lot of staff were being let go. And that a lot of titles were being, in the euphemistic phrase, consolidated. And the upshot was that uh, before we spoke, Nick parted company with Transworld, which a month or so later was shut down permanently, leaving Snowboarder as the sole snow title in the stable. Now, there's a lot more to the situation than that, which we're going to get into. And show notes plug, I will put a lot of links in this one to the various articles that have been written about the uh, the changes, shall we say, at the Transworld parent company. Um, but yeah, anyway, the whole thing meant that this was the ideal time to sit down and have a conversation about both of these things. Nick's incredible era-defining career in the snowboarding industry and the latest seismic developments that have obviously huge implications for the media landscape and the general state of the industry. And I'm talking about the action sports industry, really, not just snowboarding. Obviously, this is the second time something like this has happened in the last nine months following the collapse of factory media over here in Europe and its eventual rebirth as the Surf Dome owned Any Day Media. Now, I did record an entire episode about that saga last year with one of the key players, which I wasn't able to put out for a variety of legal reasons. So um, that one's going to stay in the bootleg category, I'm afraid. But I've been asked to comment a lot on this whole issue by listeners over the over the months. And in this episode, myself and Nick explore the entire saga in detail, with Nick giving some really, you know, peerless insights into exactly what went down and what he thinks it means for the industry as a whole. And I would say there's nobody better placed to have an opinion on that than Nick Hamilton, really. This conversation is also a fascinating look at exactly how Nick managed to carve himself one of the most enviable and influential careers in the industry. And given this is basically two old mates reminiscing, there's a look back at one of the most, um, you know, fondly remembered and iconic periods in UK snowboarding history, which we were lucky enough to be first witness firsthand and be part of. So I hope you forgive us for that. 
because we had a very enjoyable time talking about all that. Now, I've been lucky enough to interview a few of my oldest mates for the podcast, people like Ed Lee, James Stenderford, Sean Lee and Jeremy Sladen. And I must say, I do look forward to these episodes. There's just something so fun about grabbing a few beers, rolling the tape and reminiscing for a couple of hours, which is exactly what me and Nick did here. Now, I'll be back at the end with more of the usual housekeeping. But in the meantime, this is my conversation with Nick Hamilton. Nice one. How you doing? Doing great. Yeah. yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Have yeah. we started? Well, this is it. Okay. It's happening. We're rolling. Yeah, straight in. That's a podcast trope as well. You just bank, you know, just go straight into it. Love it. Yeah. So we were saying it's two years since we saw each other. Yep. Bumped into each other very randomly on the deck at Snowbird. Yeah. And probably only a handful of times in the last 17 as well. I would say. Oh, there was a time in London we caught up didn't we about five years ago u.s opens here and there u.s opens here and there random snowboarding trips yeah but you know good to good to be here with you in cardiff cardiff by the sea yep yeah so how you been been good (laughs) yeah it's been uh it's been a crazy ride over here since i used to work with you at white lines (laughs) yeah well 17 years and the last the last uh few months in particular by the sounds of it yeah yeah so how's all that looking um the transworld thing i mean i'll just come out and say it i think it's it really sucks for the snowboarding community that that's going away um like i was mentioning before the little mixed messaging that it's at first the mag went away but now the whole brand's gone which i didn't know i think i just assumed it was just the print stuff you know yeah but you're saying it's the whole property, right? Yeah, it's the like whole ev- brand. The is whole, ev- the whole everything. Yeah. Was that, did, did you, you knew that from the start, though? I did, but unofficially. So and with the new ownership, I didn't really want to kind of be saying that because I figured, you know, they might have a change of heart. They might have a, you know, revisit it. This new company, American Media, that owns National Choir and a um, Men's out, Journal. Sent out the subscription notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they bought it back on the 1st of February. And then, um, you know, they waited a while. So I was kind of still hopeful that, hey, you know, they might they might kind of reconsider here. And there's still, you know, there's still some good people working there. And um, was hoping that, you know, something might still come out of it. So even though I knew Transworld was going to be done unofficially i was you know a little hopeful that something would still survive there right and then you know it was a bummer when the the subscription card fiasco kind of went out that wasn't great pr was it? no it was horrible yeah and then a few days later they just kind of you know announced that they're throwing in the towel on the brand and um so when did you first hear well maybe let's just back up a little bit so your role at the end was effectively like content director correct yeah across the whole group yep so what what was what was that what we what we actually did? So last year we did uh, three movies. Uh, we did Kamikaze, the Kazu movie. Yep. Um, worked with Theo and the the European guys on the um, Future Yesterday. Yep. Um, and then we also worked technically not a movie, but pretty much is on the Rewind Salt Lake City project with Muzzy and Cavan. Yep. And um, that rolled out kind of uh, as a series, but we premiered it as a film. Um, and we had an award show. We had four issues of the magazine. We had social media. We had, you know, do tour as well. Do tour, but not 
that wasn't really in my kind of wheelhouse, but in the same building. Yeah, in the same. We had group. a little industry conference stomp, and then we had the you know Goodwood board test. So we were doing, we were doing a lot outside of just the magazines. Yeah, uh, we always considered the magazines are kind of a marketing piece for the brand right and really important yeah um, which is we, the way it kind of went right yeah in the yeah. industry as, yeah. as things evolved those print titles did become that kind of shot window really didn't totally. they? and we you know the staff still working on those we always considered those kind of a blessing to get to still work on print mags so right. our motto is a bit make everyone like it's your last yeah and we've been doing that for the last five six years and then kind of putting everything into every issue because it might be the last one. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just really nice to have a tangible product in your hand that you worked on. So Well, we grew up with it, didn't we? Totally. And also we worked on print together. So you have that attachment, basically, don't you? Yeah. You know, you have that increasingly sentimental kind of thing about it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So your role basically really evolved to become this more like overseeing this whole... Area yeah, of operations gradu- that you're talking about totally and gradually over the years you know that happened i mean when i started at Transworld um in 2002 it was just the print magazine there was a, a small staff in the back that worked on the website but no one was really involved in it yeah kind of on the front end on the edit team yeah and then gradually that you know we had we had some good kind of um ownership for a while with the Bonnier group is a Swedish company and they were really forward thinking and digital first. And they really pushed us at that time to branch out and do movies and digital and, you know, really pursue the social media channels. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago when I signed up for the TW snow Instagram account, you know, and just trying to kind of be on those things as they popped up and, and they always, you know, really pushed that. And that was, that was great for the, for uh, our titles to, yeah. to do that. So that probably, you know, in hindsight now, bought us a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you guys handled that transition really well because I think a lot of the, particularly in the UK, you know, we've had the pretty similar thing happen with like Factory Media in the last couple of years. Mm. And I think a lot of those titles were better at digital than others. Mm-hmm. And I think you you guys embraced it really, didn't you? Yeah. You know, and... And kind of made it as relevant for your brand as the print was. Totally. Essentially. And the same yeah. way that you did with film, you know, you, yeah. you kind of made it part. Because Transworld was essentially always like, like the, you know, the cutting edge of what you could see in snowboard media, wasn't it? Yep. So with those new areas, I always thought you guys handled that, you know, put it on a par with print really, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there was different. The nice thing about that is we could, we then had different kind of, avenues to reach audience in a wheelhouse and certain projects would be a better fit for certain channels yeah so is that um, part of your role to kind of like balance, yeah. balance those things yeah and that was that was a lot of fun i mean you know at one point we did all these instructional video series that just went on itunes and then our youtube channel and kind of fueled you know kind of beginner tips and things like that that we didn't want to see in the print magazine anymore you know because that's not why people were buying a mag they yeah wanted, they wanted to know like really more in-depth stories in the scene and things that are going on so we were really kind of evolving how we rolled things out and through which channels yeah so bonnier was when this started happening um and then because there's a few takeovers right yeah so i think so, i was there through four maybe right different ownerships but you managed to kind of pilot it and keep it pretty cohesive as a brand through most of those changes yeah right yeah 
until basically this one. Yeah, I mean, after Bonnier, we the Transworld building group was sold to the basically our competitor, um, which was the I think it was called Grind Media at the time that had the kind of competitive mag and each. That was when you kind of joined with Snowboarder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a huge. This is quite funny because for me, like, sorry to interrupt you, but like, because I worked for you a lot over the years, I'm remembering this through invoice. Right, right, right. Who was the slowest? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) grind. Okay, yeah, yeah. Enthusiast, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that was that was a culture. You know, at the time, that was quite quite a strange thing, really, in a way, because they were they were always quite different entities, weren't they? Transworld and Snowboard. Totally. And you know, interestingly enough, staffing wise, we're all really close and really respectful of everyone, and and uh, you know, we traveled to a lot of events together, and we were really you know there was a lot of good friendships and synergy there in the staffing it was just kind of outwardly facing they were two very separate brands but then when things were tightening up in in media in general kind of everyone started going a little bit down the same direction um that was one of the refreshing things of then having you know working within the same group is then we could really kind of diversify what we're doing again yeah because we didn't need to try and be kind of competing for the same thing yeah and we can kind of again pick a better fit yeah well i remember in a way it's better isn't it because if you think back to the uk scene that we kind of grew up with there was competition really wasn't there Mm -hmm. between those titles yeah snowboard uk again we were all friends yeah and we're all part of the same community yeah but there was definitely a little bit of competition totally and in and in a way it would have been better just to work together, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't, you kind of try to slice the same thing yeah. in different ways, aren't you? You know, so I it's guess. It's still, I mean, a little bit of that friendly competition to do something better. Is yeah, of course. Keeps you're, things evolving. You'll always have that. Yeah. It's never going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess practically you could, you know, actually look at it and say, all right, well, what is best for this title? What yeah. is best for this? And I this mean, area think, of the market. I think Onboard probably did that with some of the other titles they own. I mean, Onboard at factory being on board and white lines i mean you know they'd some content would be a better fit for, yeah they did that quite well for each so yeah that's a good you know a good case of that working yeah exactly so in this latest takeover then when did you first kind of realize that was going on i mean the whole company's been for sale almost a year i think it was nine months they were trying to sell and you, and you were just fully aware of that yeah um i think all the kind of senior people in the building knew that um you know information was kind of trickled down um it was one of those things that you know over time things like that they're just so out of your control you just don't really like kind of bother getting into the weeds and into yeah you just get on with it yeah you just get on with it and then uh you know just knowing at some point there's gonna be a new owner um and that the current owner this you know hedge fund group and these coast were sick of losing money and right you know they just they wanted to offload it so, they, so it was losing money as a business transworld snowboarding and snowboarder was not but the whole building as a whole was the whole media group yeah okay yeah so unfortunately we were like the o- the overachievers in the group we had right. a great great last couple of years but action sports and media and our group of titles were you know weren't making ends meet so who was under that roof then like what's the fault like presumably like transworld surf transworld skate yeah well no some of those titles got shut down along the way there's surfer there's transworld skate transworld snowboarding snowboarder transworld motocross ride bmx bike 
uh, Canoe and Kayak, Action Sports Network. I think there was 12 titles huge, total. I mean, huge network, right? Yeah, yeah. And that and that began to diminish over the years. Yeah, I mean, it was just the titles that were evolving and weren't able to kind of keep coming up with new programs were doing well, and then, you know, some that couldn't really make that transition yeah. weren't. And, right. then, and then there's things kind of outside of our control, like, you know, the kind of the roller coaster ride or some, you know, surf and, you know, moto and skate. There's just kind of like, you know, there's the, the cycles, the cycles, yeah. which are outside of the control of what yeah. everyone's doing. Well, they're always like the kind of the, the, the long tail, aren't they? That, you know, the, the media and marketing and that end of the industry when when there's a struggle that yeah. gets hit doesn't it yeah you can see it coming like a mile away yeah you can and, you, and you're a bit like uh oh you know yeah. things are going to get tighter Yeah, and, and you know when you've been doing it as long as you have you learn to see that coming right totally yeah yeah. so this was one of those occasions presumably where you I guess were hopeful that it would turn out well yeah hopeful and then I mean also got to the point I mean with all those projects we did last year with the three movies and the award you know writers poll awards and magazines and the website and the you know branded content and the industry conference all this stuff and it's like well you know if we're going to kind of continue what are we going to do just like more <laughs> with yeah. less people yeah because yeah. that just kept happening each year we just had less resources and, right and we just kind of had to keep doing more and you know while while i was there you know that was that was just the task at hand and that's what we just had to keep doing and that was freaking awesome because that was the price you have to pay to be in snow morning media to do that yeah to do that because obviously that you know ultimately it's a great it's a great job and a great means of storytelling yeah that's why you do it obviously but you're and each year i mean one of the biggest rewards for me was each year just working with different writers on different projects yeah you know and that was you know last year i mean always been a huge fan of kazu's writing and you know i remember when he came to the team challenge you know 12 years ago as a kid and you know seeing him winning the u.s open twice and you know then his kind of going to the backcountry flicking off the judges the x games and all these amazing things and then getting to work on a signature project with him i mean yeah. that that's you know that's the big reward and and even you know haldor and a lot of the european writers working on um you know last two movies with them arcadia and then uh future yesterday and the beyond metals guys and Eric Jackson too, his alignment project, which he self-produced, but you know, we got to help roll that out. I mean, that was, you know, all the bullshit with the, you know, who owns the company and all that stuff. You know, the reward was definitely helping out the work, amazing talent. And yeah. just, you know, kind of helping those writers navigate the kind of like the new evolving, you know, media world. Yeah. So with, I mean, I just got a fairly geeky question on the media thing. Like with, was the model still basically because obviously you need to as we know you need to finance these things like media whatever it is you you need to find money and traditionally the model's been advertising you mm. know traditionally the model's been it's been a self supporting thing for an industry you know brands support the media and then the media supports the brands you know it's a cycle it's a healthy cycle when the industry's doing well has that always been the model as long as you've been there that's like, been the model as long as i've been there there's kind of two different models in bigger picture media, not talking snowboarding or action sports. There's a model that is 
um, basically funded by the audience, the readership. Yeah. And that'll be like your New York Times or newspapers or yeah, things. Yeah, the Guardian, where like yeah, the subscription yeah, base, basically. Yeah, subscription and the people buying that or even Consumer Reports and some magazines do that. And then the flip side is kind of, you know, media that's based on advertising. And traditionally that advertising would sit side by side with the editorial and they, you know, the old term church and state. Yeah. They wouldn't be mingled. Yeah. And, um, you know, over the years, I think action sports and snowboarding was one of the first, you know, or, or just a group that let that kind of mingle more. The lines blurred. The lines blurred, the gray area. And, you know, it started with even the movies back in the day. And, you know, you can pay for your writer to, to be featured in a movie. You know, it's kind of like that's, that's maybe one of the first cases of branded content or, or even, you know, it goes, it goes actually back to the, you know, James Bond movies when he's got the, you know, the Rolex or the Aston Martin. It's always been there, but it's always been, and part of our job, as people work in this industry in the media has always been to to balance that and be subtle about it basically because you know that's that's how it's funded yeah you know even when you go back to the back in the day when we're doing trips for white lines or whatever you know that you've got to pay those dues you've got to like but you 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 could be subtle about it and you could be you could like you say the job was to balance it yeah Uh, when i was at white lines i mean maybe i was i was pretty young then too but I really didn't understand the advertising side of things. Well, that that's was why just we used to absolutely do our bosses head in. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we just didn't, you know, yeah. two shits really. It no. was, it, and then, and it was at a time when, as long as we were doing an amazing job and keeping an audience entertained, yeah, the advertising will flow. Well, but that and that's why the magazine was good though, mm-hmm. because we didn't give a fuck basically, right. Right. and because you, and I guess that's what I mean, like back then we had the luxury of that yeah we were almost protected from it yeah in a way when yeah. you think back totally and because it was, it was definitely people on that payroll whose job it was to yeah <laughs> to do and that. that was a harsh transition for me when i first started at transworld 2002 um coming from that kind of mama pop vibe of we kind of knew everyone and if things weren't going great then yeah. you know roles would kind of adapt but we were all kind of in it together yeah as a family and then I got hired at Transworld and, you know, amazing opportunity there. And that's a whole other story on how that all unfolded. But, that, you know, here I am in California taking that job. And then six months later, they fire like 16 people and there's a locksmith and change the locks. And it's just like it's just, you know, people that have been there for 20 years. And wow, just, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like really intense. What was that all about then? Um, it was just because the company was owned by time media in new york and the publicly traded company and their stocks were down that month or you know that quarter and they just had to make cuts and they just came and kind of wiped out a bunch of you know key people in the building just right you know as a spreadsheet just to do that yeah but john foster the original you know photo editor and he was the kind of content director at the time editor-in-chief who hired me um you know and he'd kind of talked me into moving out and he'd been there for, I think, 16 years. Yeah, he was, well, he was Transworld. Yeah, he was. And then a few months later, he was just, you know. He was out. He was out. And I was yeah, like, holy like, oh. shit, like, what have I got myself into here? <laughs> yeah, right. And that was a that was a pretty big wake up that like, oh, you know, this is, you know, with the big leagues come, you know, kind of the ugly side of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we all went to the dive bar that afternoon and kind of consoled each other. And, yeah. 
but it was still like you know that was a you know i was 24 at that time and it was like that was that was not the background we had grown up in the no, uk where it was very friendly very and, friendly yeah and, and it, it was you know, like you say we were, it's a family it was yeah. like everybody supported each other and everybody yeah. i guess that scene's unique like that though so you, you could do that yeah really. right I, di- I didn't actually know that right so yeah, a bit was, of a baptism of fire yeah it was it was a it was yeah it was just a, a wild <laughs> introduction to yeah big big league media in the u.s <laughs> yeah yeah but it sounds like that's been you know balancing those that side of the business of the industry has been a big part of what you've had to learn yeah. and then and then do basically totally so when this latest thing happened when did you kind of realize that actually things were going south as it were um i mean i feel like things would be getting challenged more and more the last few years you know again it's it's a bummer for us because our snow titles would you know had a great year we did yeah. really well so it's just the part of being in a larger group you know so when when the um when the sale got announced and that all went down they laid off 50 people yeah uh, you know uh, the day before the sale and um wow that was i don't know exact numbers probably about 100 140 people worked at the building and they laid off actually 49 people right. because 50 is considered a mass layoff in California. And that was a contingency. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that was a contingency of the sale. So that was on the, whatever, 31st of January. Um, the American media bought the company on the 1st of Feb. Right. And then I saw a news release in, you know, Forbes or somewhere in New York. And it said, American media acquires 10, no layoffs occurred in the acquisition because everyone got laid off the day before. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it was right. a little bit of a PR thing. And then, you know, four or five days later, you know, it all starts kind of merging who this group is. And it's David Pecker, who's, you know, the head of American media. And then he's in the news on the whole dick pic scandal with Bezos, the Amazon guy. And David you know, Pecker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, you can't make some of this shit up. It started happening. Determinism. <laughs> so, it's you know it's been a it's been a wild one and still through that time that's when I was still kind of hopeful that um you know there might be a they might find a resolve and and keep more of the brands and um Transil Motocross they actually just nixed the brand on the sale day you just, right. they just shut it down and just, then right uh, Transil Snow they kind of let linger a bit and um that was when you know we were still just kind of. Yeah, just hopeful something would would happen there. Not necessarily for myself, um, but just you know for some of the other staff and and really for the snowboarding community. And was there any rhyme or reason to how they went about it in terms of like how they? I'm of- I'm not kind of privy enough to how a lot of that went down. I mean, I have, you know my theories on it, but I wasn't I wasn't involved in any of that. Yeah. So I was just kind of on the receiving end and. Yeah, the, not all the decisions made sense to me, and that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. You so, know? how are you personally feeling about it? Personally, I'm excited. You yeah. Know, that's that's the kind of, you know, I'm sad for the legacy of Transworld snowboarding. Although, it, you know, I feel like it ended on a high note, which is great. Instead of it watching it kind of getting dragged out and and um, you know, just kind of slowly becoming worse yeah (laughs) or you know just kind of having the resources clipped um 
it ended on a high, you know, all those movies and all those projects we did. But for the snowboarding community, I think it, it really sucks because that was a, you know, a large kind of voice on what was going on and covered a lot of things. And, and um, it's just, a you know, that part is a bummer. Uh, for me personally, it's, you know, I'm glass half full, excited that this is this, you know, opportunity to kind of move on and do something new. I well, mean, it's a long stint, 17 years. Seven, yeah, I think technically, I mean, on the edit side, that was the longest anyone was there yeah um and that wasn't an intentional i mean when i started the plan was to you know move out here do one maybe two years and then really move on or move back and then right you know, all of a sudden 17 happened then you know at the 10 year mark and 15 year mark when they do the kind of like the town hall ceremonies and i you know i kind of started feeling embarrassed like shit i've been here too long like i need to like move on did you did you feel that a little bit a little bit but you know it was such a fun job i mean snowboarding the whole community it's so rewarding so it's been your life i mean yeah it really has and it was you know i think um i think Ilias came up with a good or maybe it was colleen someone came up with a good term that was uh, the golden cage and it was just like kind of stuck in this amazing place really should move on but it was, yeah. it was tough to do myself. I couldn't do it myself. So when it, when it did end for me, um, you know, I, I was, I was excited for me personally. Cause okay, now I can, now I can move on. I don't need to look back and wonder, Oh, you know, should I have stayed? Should I have tried to put more into it? Yeah. You know, it's a natural ending, natural ending. Um, so yeah, sucks for snowboarding and a lot of the, you know, really younger talented crew on the staff that, still had more to give and we're still learning and yeah well and, uh, taylor i mean taylor Owen, proper yeah. talent I mean, yeah you know totally right. so and, and they'll find you know it's a little disruption in their career paths but um you know it's all, all good people and a lot of people have come through those doors from you know a lot of the stories came out when the the news kind of spread and it was like you know sal masakela working the the phones at the front desk is his first job you know yeah, like which is funny i didn't again i didn't know that until i saw all that <laughs> yeah you know yeah everybody had the stories that came out yeah yeah so i mean you mentioned you think it's bad for snowboarding and obviously by extension action sports and you have this probably you know unique in the industry view on what all this means um and obviously you know personally you sound like very level-headed about it and, and pretty happy about it but i'd be really interested to hear the kind of you know the state of the industry take because it it's seismic really yeah you know, for, for for our industry for these titles to be gone like yeah. for whatever the reasons which we've discussed the practicalities the symbolic they kind of you know they occupy a really particular place in the culture don't they yeah and they're now gone yeah i mean exactly that and it's and i, and I you know i definitely don't mean to say that sad especially because it's you know it's Transwell's not around anymore and I'm and definitely not because I'm not there. I just, I mean, for the community and just having a kind of a, you know, a, a voice. And, you know, I was kind of blown away by all these messages I got after the announcements from snowboarders really all over the world that felt that that was their kind of, you know, guiding, guiding voice on, on a lot of things. And I think maybe some, some people within the industry here, you know, they, they remember it from the, kind of golden years as doing that but they were you know maybe a little more indifferent about it but it was a massive sizable 
audience still. I mean, I think we had 24 million page views on the site last year. I mean, it was reaching globally millions and millions of people. Um, so aside from the industry thing is, you know, we were always pretty, you know, focused on the audience and we had a massive audience and they're bummed. You know, yeah. a lot of people were bummed about well, that. That seems like a mad decision, really. Yeah, I, I can't. I'm, I don't, yeah, I don't I, understand it. Yeah, because so. when because my assumption, like I said earlier, was just like, well, the site will still keep going, obviously. Right. But they kept snowboarder. Yep. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So there is still this. There will still be a. Yeah. From the group, there will still be a presence. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think that will evolve, and you know, there's great people there, and I think snowboarder traditionally was a bit more of the kind of like the industry industry favorite. You know, they really uh, did a great job kind of telling the stories of the the pros in the industry and and they've been that kind of that voice and they you know always had the huge support of all the pro riders and everyone because of that and whereas Transworld historically steered a bit more towards kind of an audience and kind of like breaking down what that meant yeah um so you know it it, it makes sense to me that they kept snowboarder because of that and it's the you know it's it's, it means a lot to a lot of people in the industry. It's just, you know, I would have liked to see them both continue. Yeah, you know? and it and sounds like there was a market for it, which yeah, is the, the yeah. sort of inexplicable and, thing, really. Yeah, I, I think it, a lot of it just came down to the seasonality of snow and maybe the, you know, the cash flow of paying for two media groups for the first first half of the year yeah. to then the advertising comes back in the fall. That's my hunch. That's definitely not an official take on it. Yeah, sure. It makes sense because that's obviously always been the cash flow issue in the industry, really. And and cash flow was an issue in, you know, for the group. Yeah. And for them, they might just have not had the appetite to to keep going for it to be kind of, you know, come full circle at the end of the year. But again, that's that's speculation. I I don't know what I wasn't in any of those conversations or anything. So, you know. Yeah, you just from what you can kind of tell, yeah. really. Yeah. So, what do you think is going to fill that gap? I mean, the bigger the gap's already been getting filled in a different way by all of the riders and brands reaching their own audience, you know, and and that has been the biggest hurdle for snowboarding media the last couple of years is brands basically saying to us, you know, when I was there. Um, why we do we need you? We don't you need know, you. We don't need you. We yeah. have our own audience. So we had to keep trying to reinvent, you know, our stories and like, you know, why we're needed and all these things. But I, I, f- I feel like it's kind of got to the point where a medium sized brand or even a small or large that has a, a social following now that's, you know, proportionate to how much product they're selling they can justify investing in their own audience and speaking to their own audience and maybe paying for advertising and things like that doesn't make the most sense for them anymore. Yeah. So that's, that's been a struggle. And, and now, you know, pro riders for a long time, they were reliant on media, both movies and magazines and websites. And now they all have massive followings themselves. So yeah, they don't need it either. I I think for this, a lot of younger riders, they're, they're kind of like, oh, that sucks, and they're like, let's go yeah. film another clip. Whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're they're doing great stuff. I mean, there's so many riders. I mean, you know, they're out there, and that's going to continue, and that is exciting. And you know, I'll, you know, 
still huge fan of snowboarding and seeing those clips yeah. and you know those those new tricks and all that stuff coming out but they're they're not doing storytelling they're not digging deeper into things no. and that's you know that wasn't fully the role of transworld or snowboarder you know on the kind of like journalistic side it was like we were there for the entertainment you know getting people fired up and stoked on snowboarding yeah you know and then that's that's the difference between you know in the i think the in bigger picture media groups like new york times and things that are actually doing kind of real important journalism like yeah. they will continue and survive and you know it's been all over the news all year groups like buzzfeed and you know yeah they've all they, they're not sustainable either no and and they had a great year last year and they and then they laid off like 300 people in january because they're just like this isn't sustainable the model for like entertainment and listicles is is not sustainable so it's all you know it's all evolving and changing and it's not that's not limited to just our building no of course and it's our space the whole, pattern, isn't it's it? the whole yeah. yeah the whole caboodle so what's so personally what's next um shooting yeah been shooting a bunch and um i've always you know i mean that's that's where i started in the photography thing and in that kind of creative realm um somewhere along the lines it was probably about eight or nine years ago when i kind of got promoted and ended up being the content director the photography portion kind of got scaled back and I became more of a manager and just kind of like organizing the everything and the staffing, but really, you know, those weren't good years for me No, and I was missing the photography. And How then, much are we getting to do? Well, the last couple of years, I, I feel like I got to do a lot more. Yeah. I'm not enough. I mean, I'm still, you know, you got the good ones. I got the good, I got to go on the good <laughs> trips and you know, I'd, I'd see those bald face. Yeah. Um, there's some, some good trips and just working with good, good writers i mean you know the hard part is we had so many talented photographers all of our senior photographers they were on these retainers it got to the point where things started really kind of tightening up you know it was a little harsh to go out kind of step on their toes yeah so kind of try to give them space so creatively i've actually been shooting a lot of things outside of snowboarding the last few years yeah you've been doing a lot of commercial stuff yeah right? a lot of commercial stuff and some golf stuff and even portraits and shots from my gym you know just just people and um if you know if i didn't quite have that outlet in the snowboarding world then i kind of came full circle that i need to be shooting something right and the, that that keeps me happy and and it's um i need to you know going forward i need to have that balance always so you think that's where the focus is going to be um portion of it yeah yeah I'm kind of uh for now just to kind of get my head around this whole transition and all these new opportunities um the shooting is you know kind of my comfort zone and and the creative kind of excitement i'm getting from that there's been a couple of really interesting opportunities have come up also that don't involve shooting but kind of new career path and and uh things that i haven't really been able to make up you know make a decision on yet because I, I just need to i need some time to yeah you know in snowboarding 
Uh, mostly not in snowboarding. Oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. You're probably not going to tell me, but I'll, <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait no. to see. I could tell. No, I do, because I don't know when this is going to release. Yeah, so. yeah it's going to be soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, I could tell. I can tell. That there's a tone. There's definitely a tone. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, that's, re- that's really interesting. You know, you've earned the right, though, to just basically step back and, yeah. and see what I, you want to do. I would say, you know, a mentor of mine a long time ago kind of talked about a you know, a really well-balanced career being a, a stint in media, stint at a brand and stint in an agency. Yeah. And that was that maybe a little bit dated now, but I always felt a little weirded out that I'd only been at me in media. Yeah. I worked for brands, but I never kind of spent time in, in a brand. Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of, you know, known that when I was done, you know, at Transworld snowboarding, you know, I've kind of, I've done the media thing. Like yeah. I, I'm, I, I wouldn't work in media again. Yeah. Uh, especially with everything that's going on now. Um, it's not a career you'd particularly recommend to somebody right now. I don't think. Not right now. No, no, no. But then, you know, the interesting part for me is in that void that's going to happen with media is what's going to fill that. And if it's not media, what's it going to be? There's a huge, you know, range of opportunities there that are uh, really interesting and having some, you know, just, cool conversations with talented people and friends that are kind of looking at that too and um i think it's a massive opportunity yeah i think it really is and it's going to be really interesting to see that's really why i want to get your opinion you know because because i think it will get filled and yeah ideal case scenario i mean uh, you know a lot of the writers that reached out and friends at brands and stuff i mean my ideal case scenario would be in a capacity where i could still work with a lot of people yeah um a lot of writers and a lot of brands and kind of maybe it's a new tool or something to enable them to to kind of keep navigating you know and um if i can be a piece of something new that's doing that you know i feel like that would be really fulfilling for me plus some photography and some other things you know so the other thing about this whole situation is that you've got this massive archive of content from what you know when did it start 30 years ago yeah 32 years 32 years ago so you've got i mean like it's and it's our history snowboarding's history so what what are your views on that like was there been any conversation about what to do with that yeah There was a lot of messages flying around on uh, social media about that. And I was kind of, you know, mixed feelings because I have a lot of the magazines. I don't even have the full collect- connection uh, collection. I need to kind of round out a couple missing ones I have. But, uh, you know, a lot of people out there do. Yeah. And um, at first, I, you know, I kind of got that, okay, you know, this stuff should be digitalized. And then I kind of took a, after a little while, I took a different stance on it. And I was a little bit like, well, I mean the people that subscribed and have the mags and kept them, they get to have those stories. Cause and they've that, invested. They've invested yeah. and they understood the value at the time and just, you know, kind of, you know, that was something that was passionate to them. Yeah. The people that didn't support it, like, you know, why should they now get them. it? Yeah. Like why, why should they, they get, get it for, it for free? free yeah. And then that, that resource and, um, and it's, you know, <sighs> I don't know if the mags are full. It's not quite like the level of like artwork, but it's it's still like it's a tangible, tactile thing that, you know, I still have my whole White Lines collection that we were just going through. And, yeah. You know, I'm going to keep that. I want to reread those stories and <laughs> I want my son to read them. I'm not one sure day. I want to reread them. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, that's 
I don't just expect it all to be online <laughs> you no. know, for free. No, it's but... It's like you, you have to be... This, you know, but there is that entitlement with media these days, isn't there, that it just is free. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to monetize things, really, yeah. you know. And that transition maybe happened when we went from magazines that cost, you know, four bucks, five bucks, six bucks, to all of a sudden a website that was free. Yeah. And then everyone got kind of like more used to that. Well, now know? it's now like buying media is almost like a lifestyle statement. You totally, yeah. Isn't it? You yeah. know, like it's like buying vinyl. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You know, it's like... You planted a bit of a flag. You're saying like, well, I believe in that, so yeah. I'm going to support that. And the really nice printed components. I mean, we made coffee table books for the movies and things like that. Like, you know, if you put the extra effort into that tactile piece, you know, then, then people really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I'd actually quite like to go back to the start, if that's all right. Yeah. Because, um, so we've known each other 20 odd years. and Maybe um, more even. Yeah. And... Like, we started basically working together. That was when we met. So I've never really known the, like, the backstory of how you got into it. I mean, I kind of know, like, the rough, like, you lived in on the East Coast. You, you know, you moved to London. You're a skate geek. You're a snowboard geek. Um, but, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear how it, how it began. How it unfolded. Yeah, because it's, it's quite a long, you know, to get here from there. Yeah. And one of the nice things on, you know, not being stressed out with a crazy nine to five office job the last month is I've had a chance to kind of collect my thoughts on some of that and kind of like put it all together again. Um, cause when you're just like stressed out and manic and all, you, you don't, you know, you kind of, you're just in this like autopilot, <laughs> you know, charging forwards. Yeah. And, um, and recently I have been, you know, kind of digging into some of that because I feel like that, I'm a little reliant on some of that to, on to what, what I'm going to do next, you know, sure. and kind of like re revisiting some of those, you know, kind of just deep down again, going back to the photography. I mean, that was, you know, it started for me, it started with photography Yeah, and that was a hobby. Uh, like you said, I, you know, I grew up in Boston at that age. I mean, I, I moved around for my dad's work, but when I got into snowboarding, it was it was from f- friends in Boston and friends in Finland. East Coast scene, basically. East Coast scene, yeah. yeah. And um, and along with that came a camera for me because you know I went to with my Finnish friends. We went to Strun and you know quickly realized like shit, these guys are so much better than you know I am or my friends are in Boston. I need to get some photos of this. This is insane. You know they, the summer I went to Strun, I think it was ninety three or ninety four. Just with like Yarko and people like this. Yeah. We drove there from Finland. It was like an 18 hour drive or something. And we got out the car and it was a sunny day. I mean, we were just in pieces from that drive. Yeah. They all started hitting that road gap. The famous Jamie Jamie Lynn Lynn road gap. I think Jamie and Terry, those guys have been there like two or three weeks before. Classic Transville cover. Yeah. And um, there I am with a camera. And of course that magazine hasn't come out. We don't know those guys have done anything there. Right, because right. it's in the summer. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, my Finnish friends and they start sessioning the road gap, and I'm like, "This is way outside my ability level." You know, like, <laughs> Go on, lad. <laughs> yeah. And um, my dad had let me borrow his camera for the trip, and I just started taking pictures, and I just kind of knew my place there was, uh, you know, taking photos, not jumping that road gap yeah. <laughs> for starters. Yeah. And the same thing happened in the pipe and the and the, you know, the jumps. So that was it. That was exciting. Got some, you know, I was a, 
I was a hobbyist photographer, really, you know, I was keen, you know, but I didn't, I didn't think, I never thought of it as a profession or anything like that. We must have been a young kid at that point. What were you like, 16, 17 or something? Yeah, maybe 15, Mm. 15, 16. Yeah. Um, You know, then it was actually when that trans world issue came out with Jamie Lynn on the cover. And that was a John Foster photo. The, it was the first black and white and all this stuff. But I was literally, and John's a good friend of mine, but I was looking at those photos and I was like, my photos are as good as this. Right. Okay. (laughs) You know, I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm on, I'm kind of on a par here. Yeah. And I had no idea really what I was doing. I had the skate photography background. So I knew kind of some angles or something, but I just kind of, was just, you know, trying to make the the gap look big and and kind of doing my thing and understanding what tricks my friends are doing. Yeah, you had the, you had the aptitude to kind of yeah. to 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 frame it and make it look good. Totally. Which is as we know, people don't find that very straightforward yeah. as you would know from any mainstream totally. media depiction of our but, world. And that's and that was a difference between I've I'd taken pictures at the US Open and things like that, but when you're at a contest, you have no like it's like shooting wild animals on safari. Like yeah. you, you don't have any say in what's going on yeah. or, or know anything. Now we're in a, like kind of like a photo shoot session where I'm getting photos and yark on those guys are like, Hey, I'm going to do like a backside 180 and like, what would be a cool angle? And like, we're kind of like working on these shots. Yeah. Um, so that was a really, you know, cool, cool thing that happened really when that mag came out and, you know, of course, we're blown away. It was a beautiful photo, and then it's Jamie Lynn, no glove, front three. You know, yeah, like I mean, it's still like it's, absolutely classic. You know, but and my photo is not as good as it, but it just it really kind of put my photography in on like kind of on the similar. Yeah, level it gave you confidence like, in you exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you were, um, and you were like, ah, maybe. So, I not long after that was in this random trade show i think or bordex or something in in london had you uh, moved to london by this point yeah it was that summer i moved to london right actually so i didn't know anyone and i was just a snowboard nerd so i would hang out you know snowboard asylum at covent garden every day after school yeah either there you know skating at south bank but i love just talking about snowboarding and fanning out on it and simon and simon nichols and um Martin Drayton with the guys who worked to the shop and I was just like bugging him every day, yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah, in yeah. there. Is a new magazine arrived yet? Yeah. You know, is there, are there any new movies? And they're like, nope, not yet. But I'd also have all of my photos in my backpack from, from school. Right. And any opportunity to start showing people the photos, I would. And from that, a couple opportunities kind of came up. Like, uh, I think a journalist came in this, this woman, she'd actually broken her arm and she was writing an article for Harper's Bazaar or Harper's and Queen or some Yeah, you know, I mean, thing. this is like the proper, like, snowboarding. You told like, it. You know, and she, he- tried, it on day, a, she it, tried it on a dry slope, broke her arm. Yeah. And, she, and like, so she was writing a That's story so about funny. it. And we ended up showing her some photos and she was really, you know, really liked him because the only photos at that time were racing suits, hard boots, Getty images. Yeah. And I had photos of all the guys, like, looking cool you know like in the air like good style clothes and grabbing yeah. and and she was like wow i've never seen anything like this so right she's like can you know can i use one of these for my article like, absolutely so by default then i'm getting my pictures in magazines and snowboarding's really starting to become a a thing in in the uk especially then it was you know was yeah co- that covered garden contest yeah happened that's soon like after the, that. That, that was when basically the, the the industry went from a few 
kind of like you know basically eccentrics they're all friends of ours but yeah. they're not going to mind us saying that like you know like people that were just the original like outliers totally to to money coming in yeah and then more of our friends getting careers basically yeah. you know yeah we were all starting there at the same time and yeah i used to go up to high wickham or beckton alps or wherever and try and get dry slope photos and meet people and yeah so i met denny wheeler and Stu brass and those guys were like you know talking you know start talking about going to france that season and doing a season i didn't even know what that meant yeah but, you know they kind of invited me out like hey do you want to come to so Lazark? they would all have been going right? yeah, yeah. that was i'd never been on a giant mountain or in powder <laughs> yeah know, so. yeah finnish finnish kids east <laughs> yeah, coast finnish east kids. Coast, yeah. <laughs> um right so you know a lot of just a lot of right place, right time, and and just being enthusiastic about it. Yeah, well, that you that that happen. was the start of your partnerships with those guys, right? Totally. Because obviously, yeah. you and Danny had a, you know, like as long as you shot in Europe, he yeah. was basically your guy, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, he and was then, my best friend, and yeah, he was like most talented writer at that time. Yeah, and, of course. And then and you know, he was you, a snowboard nerd too, so we'd fan out on like what was cool, what wasn't, and yeah. we'd go and try and get amazing photos ourselves yeah like, and then you drove know, you a lot of it you shot with chris you shot with Stu, you yep. shot with neil like you know you shot with well i say neil just because i remember the, one of the first times i met you was this, you were doing a shoot with those guys in Courcheval. right um but yeah you know that you started to forge those partnerships yeah so is this when the white lines thing started happening no this is so white lines hasn't started yet really at this point i'm still finishing my a levels at this point right so the equivalent of high school so i'm kind of a senior in high school finishing up a levels yeah and um some crazy stuff happened that year yeah uh, which you're familiar with yeah but, um, yeah do you want to talk about that yeah we can talk about that basically i was telling a good friend about it last week so it's a little fresher but um on my 18th birthday um basically couple crazy things happened to me in my life i was living in london yeah um, you're living in victoria right i was living yeah in pimlico yeah and as yeah had you know just going through my a levels and really passionate about photography and i was shooting local bands or just whatever i could kind of get my hands on uh, for an assignment or yeah. you know skateboarding at south bank and um three things happened on my birthday i fell on a mini ramp and cracked my ribs and like spent the night in hospital and missed my surprise birthday party. All my friends had thrown me, <laughs> uh, that night. So yep. that sucked. And I didn't know about it till the next day. Wow. And then a month later it was raining a ton in London. I lived on the top floor of my parents' house and the ceiling of the house, the whole roof got waterlogged and the whole ceiling was actually Friday the 13th too. <laughs> the whole ceiling caved in and just destroyed everything in my room. I'd woken up because it was like a noise, and I went to go switch the light on. And right when that happened, like bricks, plaster, wood, onto everything. Your bed. Onto my bed, table, just destroyed everything in my room. So that was after a month. So then I'm sat, you know, living on the couch, trying to, you know, stay motivated to go do A levels. And I was doing like math and history or something, you know, insanely boring stuff. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to take photos. Yeah. And a month later, I got a check from a local band for, you know, a photo shoot I did for them for their press release or something. It was like 50 bucks. And I woke up late. Should I go to school? Should I not go to school? Teacher really sucked if you're late for that class. So I was like, it's just not worth going late. Yeah. So I went, go down the bank to bank my, you know, massive check for 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I'm standing there in line and it's my, my turn at the cash register and I look over at the door and this guy in a trench coat and a balaclava and a gun just comes running in. And I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, just didn't really have a chance to... This is weird. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a chance to kind of like put it together, what that meant. Yeah. And then a, like a millisecond later, he was right on me and he had his arm around me and the barrel of the gun was in my throat. And he started yelling, everyone get on the floor. You know, like just, and it was a fucking bank robbery. And I was the hostage in this bank robbery. So that, that was a little crazy. Um, the woman, the bank teller in front of me, she's behind bulletproof glass, but she, you know, it was too much for her. She just froze. And I was just looking at her and she was looking at me and we were both frozen and he's yelling at everyone, everyone get down. Like just, just a bad scene in there. And then he was saying he had this trench coat on. I think he had a bag inside it. And he's like, you know, yelling at her, put the money through the, through the kind of the, um, like the bucket thing yeah, with the yeah, slidey, yeah. slidey yeah, they, glass. Like they used to spin around. Didn't yeah, they? yeah, this was like a bucket with a sliding cover. Yeah, and he was like, "Give me the fucking money!" And then she just, you know, still frozen. And then he just lost it, and they just shoved the gun like kind of deeper into my throat. And he was just like, "I'm gonna fucking blow his brains out! Give me the fuck!" And I just like lost it, and I was just looking at her like, "Give him the fucking money!" Yeah, like, right. You know, like, and uh, you know, still helpless that's when other people in the bank started crying. There was like this pregnant lady and this like elderly man. Cause it was, it was a school day in the middle of the day. So it's not like young people about. Yeah. And, um, one of the other, uh, bank staff came running over and dumped kind of his drawer into the drawer. And then, so that kind of satisfied him. He kind of pushed me over and I like kind of fell on the ground and he just loaded up his, his bag inside his jacket with the cash I remember just lying there and just seeing this like 50 pound note kind of like, like the mist, like landing on the floor and just kind of wondering if I should grab it or not. That was just like the only weird thought I had in the whole incident. And he just, yeah, he stuffed all the money in his jacket and he was out, you know, and then, then the bank, you know, cause all the staff were behind this bulletproof glass. They came around the front and the bank manager was like, you know, he's gone. Everything's all right. Um, you know, everyone can relax and, and, uh, everyone's kind of just, you know, trying to figure it out. Then the investigators arrived from Scotland Yard. Unfortunately, I was 18, was a, you know, school day. I'd shaved my head as well <laughs> on my birthday. So I think some of the other customers had said that they were confused and thought, it was someone I knew or like an really? accomplice of mine or like they were just, you know, I was just a wow. suspect looking you know, youngster. Yeah. And, and it was really just because I was the closest person to the door when he, when he came running in, but yeah. they were just like kind of confused. So I got fully interrogated after as to, you know, am I accomplice in this like bank robbery? Wow. And, um, which I wasn't, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, slip that in there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I should have been, I mean, they said he got like 15, 20 grand and they just said he's probably someone that just got out of prison and just needed a quick, you know, yeah, quick cash flow bump up to get back on his feet and, you know, he has a gun and he can, you know, just yeah, go kind yeah. of just in and out, didn't get in the safe or anything crazy. It was just a kind of a, a quick hit and, uh, it was Barclays bank and they 
for for you know my troubles they sent me a letter and they gave me 50 pounds credit into my account oh that was nice yeah them. very nice yeah right they, they did actually the bank manager did tell me though that the the 15 to 20 grand the robber got was such a small amount for barclays it wasn't worth the paperwork to do an insurance claim wow so the 50 pounds really felt special yeah after of that. course right they really they really looked after you there <laughs> and i asked about the the security cameras they had around the bank and they said they're just fake Barclays hadn't wanted to spend the money to to put real ones in. So. Right. So, as I remember, that was like, you know, obviously a very pivotal moment in your life, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, after that, kind of going back and and really, really struggled to give a you know kind of give a shit about doing school stuff at that point. You know, I'm doing this like A level history and A level math. It really just made, you know, just just really didn't make sense to me. And, yeah. and um, I went from having really good grades and, you know, probably going to university and all this kind of career path to after that, uh, you know, I see it in hindsight as a really positive thing. I had this traumatic experience, but then my parents were really supportive of whatever you want to do from here on out. Like it's your, your life, your path. And I was like, I want to go shoot snowboarding. Yeah. So that's probably when I went out to, that first time to Lazak and I met Danny and Stu and I was just like, I just want to make this work. Yeah. And I got the insurance claim from the, the roof caving into my room and I just spent all the money on, on a new camera and a couple of lenses. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. So barely got through then to college, but you know, I ended up not getting into the photo universities I applied to. And I just, you know, that's when white lines was starting and, and, Chad and Jim and those guys had a really cool thing going and they offered me a full-time job to be the photographer and that's that's really where it, where it started that was that the opportunity. Start. yeah so that was like probably what six seven years you reckon 96 yeah to 2002 around that yeah yeah and you had a pretty good run yeah I mean those were you know those were the best times I mean just getting to travel and uh, you know, I I kind of kept a lot of my Finnish contacts. So I had you know some some friends in the Finnish snowboarding scene. I got to shoot with here and there, and then really just with you know teaming up with Stu and and Danny and a lot of you know talented UK riders. I just got to shoot all of that, and then um, well, it was a great setup we had, wasn't it? Yeah, you, know, you were out shooting, and then there was like Chad obviously designing. Me, Chris, and Ed kind of writing, yeah, you know, and um, and you had that amazing network as well. You, you knew everybody, yeah. So you knew all the Americans, you knew all the Finns, you know, you knew obviously all the Brits and all the Europeans. And as we started doing more and more, like that network grew, and yeah, I mean, the mag basically just went from strength to strength, didn't it? Yeah, in those years. Yeah, I mean, the mag was everything we were doing in those days. Yeah, I mean, it was like the mag it was, was record, just wasn't it? Yeah, it was a record of yeah. our lifestyle what we're doing so you know again I, I have all those mags i haven't read any of them in over 20 years but yeah you know i sometimes tell some of these stories to my son and you know i, I he's 11 now and he loves snowboarding and that was you know even i was talking to him this morning and i said oh you know one of my one of my friends is coming over to do we're going to do an interview and talk about snowboarding and you know i worked with him a long time ago at white lines and he was his one question actually because he started to pick up some of the stories was oh was that your friend that 
the block the toilet on the trip to Canada. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to say that wasn't me. <laughs> but it was one of our mutual friends. Yeah, that, was, uh, who's probably, that was the other writer. He's probably spitting his tea out right about now. And I think you should yeah. probably definitely... Yeah. Well, that's like the classic Canada trip. Yeah. With and Chris, who we're talking about. Chris, Hello, Chris. Yep. Sa- uh, Sasha. Spencer. Spencer and Stu. Yep. You crashed your car that trip as well. Sasha crashed the car. Yeah. yeah. None of none of the us restos had anything to do with that. Yeah. He was just recklessly driving, <laughs> I'll say on record here. Yeah. Um but that trip, so ironically, the reason the the um the block toilet story came up <laughs> was because I went back to Red Mountain this this winter, uh actually for New Year's with my son. Right. We went on a boys snowboarding trip and I hadn't been there since. And it all came, pardon the pun, flooding back. <laughs> came flooding <laughs> back. And we I mean, what an amazing place. I, I, I just Red Mountain has yeah, we were there for a week. I have this really you know, we were saying before the interview started, I have this real special connection with my son and taking him snowboarding. He loves snowboarding. Yeah. So even if I may start, you know, having opportunities elsewhere in other industries and stuff, I still really passionately care for the snowboarding industry because I want my son to enjoy it. And he's already, you know, he likes taking pictures. He loves snowboarding. I mean, he's 11, right? Yeah. He's 11 now. So, you know, I'd like the, I like it still for him. It'd be a cool scene and community for him, you know, when he gets older. Cause we yeah. were in red and he was talking about, you know, maybe being a lifty or working at a ski resort after he finishes school. And I'd be hundred percent supportive on that. Yeah. You know, right. I was doing a season somewhere, something like that. I just feel like that is a, regardless of what he goes on to do, that would be a, you know, a special time for him. Yeah. And he's a, you know. He just loves snowboarding. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, you must be so stoked on that. Yeah. That trip you boys did, though, that's that was a classic White Lines trip because that was that whole Sasha issue. The yellow cover. Yep. Sasha's interview. In fact. Sasha's interview. Yeah. And I was literally sat on that. You can see that cliff from the chairlift, and it's the upper chair at red. And I was on that chairlift with my son, and I was pointing out the two trees they jumped in between. Yeah. Because, you know, the crazy thing back then is, and it's a little harder to do nowadays, is you could just roll up at a resort and just shoot a cover of someone hitting a jump underneath the chairlift. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And it was that, and that's what we do. We go around to all these resorts all over the world, and we just, you know, it was the, it, we'd talk to locals, kind of sniff out where the jumps were and where yeah. the snow was good, and then we would just shoot it. Now... You know, over the years, the level of progression's gotten so crazy that, you know... Can't quite do that anymore. You can't quite do that anymore. No. So that was... That's why it was uh, it was an exciting time because we didn't... We really didn't need to work that hard for to get that level of riding. We could just go shoot it. So it was a lot, a lot about the lifestyle back then. Yeah, and also, you know, one of the best things about those times was you could literally and and we and again we did this didn't we just basically get look at the map and be like well we've not been there yeah you know let's should we go there you know i mean so so lucky to to have been able to do that you know and and that explore exploration i mean i feel like a lot of people over the last couple years have been doing that 
friends of mine, even outside the industry, where they, they just book a, you know, a powder trip to North Island, Japan, or somewhere like that. And they, yeah. you just go explore, and you still do that. You just get a, you know, a trail map, or maybe going into interior Canada or somewhere, and you just kind of figure out, oh, there might, you know, there might be some steep runs there. How are the trees? And that, I'm excited to be doing that again without a camera and just taking, you know, riding with my son and friends and doing that um, yeah. at, at resorts. I mean, I was definitely lucky enough to get to go on some really cool cat and heli and powder trips. But yeah. something about exploring just a new resort. Yeah, it's still is, rad. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, this is the first. I've never been a mammoth until this year. Mammoth's which is awesome. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, got a great day. Yeah. Met some locals, got shown around. It's amazing. You know, it's as good a day as I've had in years. Yeah. Like, so fun. Um, so when you look back on those white lines years, um, I'm interested. I'm, I, I guess you're going to say your favorite rider to shoot with, with was Danny, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you did have that partnership. Yeah, we had that partnership. And then it was also Danny was kind of one of the fewer riders I felt at that time that he, he came from also a skate background. Yeah, a sick skateboarder. Yeah. And with that skate background, there's a lot of just kind of like etiquette and things you pick up on on the style and the tricks and who's doing what a lot of a lot of great snowboarders were more just kind of like carefree just riding and they didn't really care so much about how they were grabbing or which tricks they were doing or how they were doing them so danny and i kind of had you know we would just really kind of fan out on that and the yeah. new video parts and just kind of like who was doing what tricks which way and which photos look cool and didn't and um and that was something that was you know, we just love to argue about as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you both didn't lack opinion. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. And so is there a shoe or or any... I'm obviously geeking out on white lines because we've got this, like, history together, but um, what have you got, like, a shot or a cover that, that, that stands out from those years? Yeah, I mean, I think my my favorite cover and, and shooting session was... Uh, and Danny, we shot. I shot a couple of covers of Danny, but it was the one from Tendadalen in uh, Sweden. The night quarter. Shoot. The night quarter. That was probably one of the coolest like shooting experiences I'd had, because we were there. Danny and I traveled out, and you know he was one of the few British riders as well that was uh, you know on a kind of international level. Yeah, he I mean a, he raised the bar. He raised the bar, but he also that meant he had a travel budget from West Beach and a Duotone, so he was able to travel. Yeah, and he was go able to, to events. Like mix it basically. Yeah, a lot of the other great riders, but they kind of you know they could do a season in France and maybe one trip, and that was it. You yeah, know, that's what they had the funding to. You know, Danny and I could go to go on some trips, and then because I had a little travel budget from White Lines, and we'd you know make it kind of last we'd go to some of these cool events and international events. And, um, that quarter pipe contest, I think it was actually a Volcom event in, in, uh, Tendadal in, in, uh, Sweden. It was when, you know, the quarter pipe night quarter pipe contests were kind of a big thing. And, uh, it was the practice session the night before the contest. Everyone was just kind of relaxed and just riding and getting used to it, warming up. And it was, you know, Danny was there. It was uh, Jeffy Anderson was was riding hard. It was Gigi and Sonny, the Burton Seven guys, and then uh, Nicola Thost was going nuts. Like, just she was blowing minds on that quarter, like insane level riding from her. And um, 
it started snowing like pretty big flakes every all the other photographers it basically like shut down their operation like you know flashes were fizzling cameras were frying <laughs> and then for some reason my setup which was the lumidines and my kind of skate skate um lighting that i used was all working fine and i just put like some clear plastic bags on them and i just kept shooting yeah and all the riders were getting into a session so i was kind of the only one shooting and it was uh benedict was doing these like crazy sick switch mctwists and then uh jeffy was doing the massive you know backside airs and nicola was doing these like airs to fakie danny was doing busting out huge methods and i was just having a field day shooting this stuff back then it was on slide film so no idea how the shots are gonna look but you know for a couple of weeks till i got back but i just knew from the settings and the lighting and the ambient lighting i've shot similar things before i knew we we're getting good stuff and i think from that that one evening i got like three or f uh three or four different magazine covers around the world from that session of different writers and you know a photo in trans world and then like you know yeah. photos all over and that was uh that was for me for you know my career kind of one of those early standouts when i was like i just you know felt really proud of the photos we got and a lot of luck contributed to that and then um that was a you know beginning of a really strong relationship with a friendship with a couple riders and david benedict was there Vilay was there um and uh yeah that was that was a that was a cool on the international stage that was a a cool moment yeah well that was you, you were also that was kind of your model, wasn't it, as well? Back in the day, it's a bit of a throwback now, but, you know, do the shoot and sell it, syndicate it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and we know. had a great, you know, because, um, you know, White Lines was my priority, but we were trying to keep White Lines, you know, strictly British yeah. as far as the coverage goes. Well, it's a bit of a point to, of honor. Yeah, and, <laughs> and to enable the British scene to kind of flourish you yeah. know, and not just get squeezed out by the global guys and, and international guys. So in a session like that was the best case scenario because I'm shooting with Danny, yeah. getting great shots of Danny, and then the Finnish guys are hitting it and I'm getting shots of them for the Finnish mag, and then the French guys are hitting it and getting shots of them for Freestyler, the French mag, and then U.S. guys are hitting it and I'm getting, you know, I'm going to send those shots to to trans world and th there wasn't there wasn't a conflict of interest because those are all regionally yeah you know mags seen different places yeah and it was all quite neat wasn't it yeah there was a bit of an understanding about that yeah as and there well. was an etiquette to it yeah and definitely kinda, um but that was you know that's how that's how my relationship with trans world started was as a contributor so when i started working there in 2002 i'd already been a con photo contributor for like five or six years yeah and I was just visiting the office to say hi because they were, you know, running my photos and and I just wanted to thank them for that and ask them to keep doing it. Yeah. Instead, they offered me the job as photo editor. <laughs> yeah. And did you know it was time to move on? Uh, not at that point. I I was young. I didn't want to leave White Lines. No? I was scared about that. So I turned down the Transworld job at first. I didn't want to do it. Um, I felt like I had a good thing going in the U.K., I had good freelance opportunities in London and, you know, it was like kind of my first trip to California just to visit. Yeah. So I wasn't, you weren't ready. I wasn't ready. Yeah. And, um, you know, really good friend of mine, Joel Muzzy, he was there. He was a senior editor. He kept trying to talk me into it. Yeah. He was like, you'd be great at this. 
all the staff, everyone was great, but I just didn't feel ready. And yeah. I almost felt like I wasn't kind of worthy of it too. You yeah. know, it was just like, there's, you know, way more talented people and I'm just some kind of no one from, from Europe. You yeah. know, like it didn't, I, I, I didn't have the confidence at first and I just didn't, didn't like the idea yeah. necessarily of leaving white lines. And then I, I talked to Chad, who was in, in charge and I kind of just, I just had to get it off my chest. I was like, Hey, it was a crazy. I visited Transworld. They offered me this job. I said, no, but I, you know, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty flattering. It was pretty crazy. And yeah. then Chad, he was, you know, my mentor coming up. He was just like, you know, Nick, like an opportunity like that doesn't come around twice. You, yeah. You have to do it. Even if you're not ready or, He's like, we'll be fine, but you have to do it. Otherwise, you'll look back. And you'll regret it. And you'll regret it. Yeah. So just I was, you know. Really generous thing yeah, to do that. Totally. And I was literally on a payphone in Whistler with with Elliot Neve and <laughs> and, and um, Brian Davis. It was a Cybrass. We were on this trip when I made that call. And, and then that kind of changed everything because I was a little bit like I needed that, you know, I needed like someone needed to be, push. I needed the push. Yeah. And, um, also just, you know, I, I really, we'd started white lines from the ground up. I, you know, I cared about it. I yeah. Like, I, I didn't want to leave it hanging. So, well, you know, everyone poured everything into it, didn't they? Yeah. You know? So part of my, when I started at Transworld, I accepted the job then in January. And then part of the, the deal was I was basically, I deferred it and I, doing another season yeah i'd spent the season kind of executing all the plans we had for white lines and i said i'd start first of april yeah at the tail end of the yeah, winter yeah. So to fulfill that commitment yeah yeah because then we got another season didn't we yeah basically yeah of the so then james came out with me and we kind of yeah. like you know, yeah i remember showed him the ropes did, did the transition yeah we did the transition yeah. and you know it was tough at times because i was like all of a sudden i had this like massive overwhelming thing coming yeah. up but yeah yeah but i felt good about it it felt like it was the you know, correct way to go about it. And, yeah. and Foster and some of the crew, even though it wasn't best case scenario for them, they, I think they, they could appreciate that that was like a kind of stand up way of doing it. So kind of worked out. Yeah. And I figured I'd only going to be there a year or two anyway, and then come back. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. I didn't realize that because I don't know. I think from our point of view, it was just made a lot of sense, you know, cause you'd been like six years and obviously it's interesting to hear that you said you were weren't confident because it for us it was a bit of a natural progression i think you know when we heard about it we were just a bit like well yeah obviously that's that's gonna happen yeah <laughs> you know i think a lot of i mean the confidence thing a lot of my best photos and things over the years haven't haven't always been with like the biggest name writer the best project has been kind of like a little bit one step below that yeah which is um, really kind of fun for me now because, um, you know, I've started posting some of my old photos and I'm getting a lot of really cool feedback and messages from people. That, and it feels really good. And I've got some awesome messages. But at the time, I always felt like, oh, these photos aren't as good as Andy's or aren't as good as Zachary's or aren't as good as Curtis's. Right. And then so I was just doing my thing and shooting with my own, you know, kind of crew and, and just – kind of content being like kind of in second place if you will as far as like the you know what's going on in photography and snowboarding and a couple you know a couple of standout moments but just with social and everything it's, it it's just cool that some of those riders and you know i got some shots of you know 
Scotty Whitlake and and just just shots that I have that I'm personally proud of. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't his photographer. I didn't get to shoot with him all the time. Yeah, I just, sure. I just have a great shot of him that yeah. people love. And um, you know, through the finish finish connection, I did get to work with a lot of really, you know, UC and and Yarko and some of the you know really talented. I remember writers. that shot of Yarko. The slam from Sasha's Coolwell. That's oh, yours, yeah. isn't it? With Lazar. his head like perfectly yeah. planted. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you like I said earlier, you had you had that network basically, yeah. which yeah. enabled you to to. That's what made White Line so great, and that's what enabled your career to blossom basically. Yeah, because it just because it exponentially grew, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, and the Finnish guys. That was the time of the whole scanners movement and. And the kind of Rick's grandson and, you know, exciting things were going on with that. And yeah. Malmi and, and Yessa and all those guys. And um, it was just cool. You know, they were just all my friends. Like that was, it was just cool to travel and take photos with them. And then when people wanted to use those photos, sponsors or magazines, that was, that was really cool. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about obviously what's been going on with Transworld. We've talked about the past talks about your whole career you know you've got this amazing overview of basically the, the media trends that have, that have changed throughout your whole career and we've talked about what that means for the industry and what that means for snowboarding but what is what does it mean for you as somebody who grew up as like an analog guy who's had to make all these changes like adapt to this changing landscape throughout your career and now you're at this new kind of juncture what do you see how do you see the future looking for you I'm excited because I don't fully know what it's what it's going to be and you know even knowing what it's going to be next year compared to 3 years from now is unknown but I feel like you know that has been that's been a driving force of the kind of uh you know what's what happened at Transworld for many years along the way a couple times people will be like you know oh, you're still at Transworld kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm still at Transworld, but now I'm doing all these, you know, now we're doing social media, now we're doing movies. And it was that evolution that kept it interesting. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't have been there for 17 years only working on the print magazine. No. Like, like and no, so, of course, that would have so, lost its interest. Yeah. So the kind of evolution of of our world and what's going on and telling stories about snowboarding is super interesting to me also. Uh, I mean, I think... Uh, Recently, I've had a bit more time and bandwidth to kind of dig through some of my old photos, and I've just kind of randomly been like, "Oh, maybe I should post some of my own, you know, own photos and tell a story here and there." And the response on on social has been really positive, and people really liked them, and you know, this felt great. Like it's like, "Oh, cool!" Like I've got tons of stories like that, tons of photos, and well, that's a proper thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what, and it's it's kind of embracing. It's it's you it's I feel like now I maybe found a, a good application for social media for myself. Yeah, you've got. A, I mean, it's a platform for you as much yeah. as anybody. Yeah, and um, I have this hard drives, hard drives, and slide sheets of you know twenty five years of snowboarding that yeah. I've witnessed, and you know world records, and McMorris doing the first triple cork, and all these crazy things along the way, and the Arctic Challenge, and like all just all these things that happened, and all these standout riding moments, and things that. Maybe got talked about in the mags at the time, but a lot of it got missed, you know? So I feel like I have my takes on those stories from being there. And, um, you know, I was never a great writer. So writing at the magazine level 
features articles wasn't you know was tough i tried to do it sometimes but with social i feel like just you know laying the caption out there on the story maybe it's full of typos i know that really annoys some people but <laughs> uh, capitalize too often but it's kind of fun you know yeah. just just sharing that You're enjoying then, it yeah getting the comments going and it's like i said before that you've earned the right you know i yeah. mean you've got this you've got this perspective and archive yeah i mean it's literally snowboarding history totally you've shot the whole thing yeah and <laughs> no. someone the other day messaged me and you know actually a really talented artist that i was a. Uh, you know, stoked to just get some, some positive feedback. But, um, he was like, you know, you should, you should do a book, you know, do this thing. And I'm like, well, I've actually just been doing printed high end things for the last 25 years. Yeah. I actually like just putting stuff out on Instagram and it's not polished. And it's, you know, the other day I just dug out a J2 photo and posted that and some BTS I literally decided to do that when I was making a cup of tea that morning. Yeah. It took me three hours to dig it all up and put it together and write the caption, but it was really fun. And I, I'm and I don't have much rhyme or reason to it, but it's it was fun and then I got some cool messages and good memories out of it. And I you know, that's kind of what what's driving me at the moment on the on the media side and embracing the Instagram and Well you sound really positive. Next. You sound like you're you're you know, this whole thing is, you sound like it's come at a good point for you. Like it, it's kind of capped it all really nicely and you're ready for the next stage, basically. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I am. I don't know what that is. Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there and I just, you know, definitely just feel blessed. I've had so many amazing experiences along the way. Um, you know, I kind of told a couple of people when it first happened and, you know, it was a big emotional roller coaster, but... I was like, hey, at the end of the day, I only set out to do this a year or two. I got 15 bonus years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I always knew it would end. I just couldn't leave. It was, uh, you know, the trans world thing was my dream job. I couldn't walk away from that. But no. now it's on. I'm going to, you know, find that new dream job. And it might be just working by myself as a photographer. It might be, who knows. But um, definitely want to still be involved in snowboarding again especially because my son just loves it and i want i want him to be around snowboarding when he gets older and i'd like to share share some of that with him and those experiences and um i know for you know for a while having a young son snowboarding it was kind of like you know there's like the embarrassing dad jokes and just (laughs) stuff within the industry of being you know like it wasn't cool to be a dad you know snowboarding dad but now i'm like i just don't care about that that's like you know that's one of the, my biggest passions in my life at the moment is snowboarding with my son and that's not going to change well it's been amazing to catch up man should we go and get a beer that's let's do it let's do it thanks matt so there you go that was my conversation with nick and i hope you enjoyed it as much as me and nick evidently did so fun hanging out again at the end of the trip we had enough time to go for dinner a couple of times have a few more beers plenty more catching up went down i'm actually supposed to be meeting nick and um as many people as can make it at a permanent publishing reunion this coming weekend at the end of April 2019 in Nottingham in England. That's hopefully going to include people like Wig Warland, Andy Horsley, Ben Powell, some of the Surfers Path boys, Jim Peskett, Chad Thomas, if we're lucky. Basically, everybody I was lucky enough to work with back in the day and meet them all 20 years later. We should be pretty funny. No doubt that will be finding its way to my Instagram at We Look Sideways. 
So yeah, there we go. So what else is uh, going on? I know I mentioned it last episode, but I just wanted to mention once more the incredible reaction to the Jamie Thomas podcast. And the main sentiment seems to be from men who are saying, wow, somebody else feels like that. Thanks for the honesty, which suggests that people are crying out for this type of conversation and honesty, really. It kind of underlines one of the things Corey Schumacher said in the last episode, the importance of alternative narratives and why they're so important and how people are basically crying out for this type of chit chat. And incidentally, one of the things I've been doing on Instagram this year is posting the books I've been reading as a highlight. You can find it on my Instagram again at We Look Sideways. Obviously, that's a pretty twattish thing to do. Um, a couple of reasons why I did it. Thought it'd be a good public record for me to refer to what I've been reading because I've always wanted to do that. I've, you know, traditionally read a lot over the years, and I've always wished I'd kind of like some kind of completest geek written down everything that I've read the other thing is as well I thought it might encourage me to read more which is something I've really struggled with over the last few years as the internet has turned my brain to scrambled eggs and that is something that strikes at my own self-identity because I've always been a reader and when I don't read I feel a bit weird to be honest so I made a real conscious effort to read more this year and I thought well if I do it on Instagram it might keep me honest and it's kind of worked and I've read a lot of well not that many I've read about eight books this year but one of them I get to the point is timely in this whole Jamie Thomas self-identity masculinity conversation it's called The Descent of Man by Grayson Perry short sharp funny intelligent covers plenty of the same ground and is a very interesting exploration of the territory me and Jamie explored in our conversation I recommended it to Jamie he's reading it I recommend it to anybody, particularly men who listened to that and thought, you know what, I could also do with looking at some of these issues. So there you go. Um, I also, I think last couple of episodes, did one of those kind of needy shout outs when I was like, oh, you know, come on, give me some, give me some love. It's a mission, this. You know, a few people did. Thanks for that. Definitely noticed a bit more sharing. Definitely had a few more emails. I got a great email that I'm going to read out because it's, I love a complicult. You know, and somebody basically gives you a compliment, but there's also an insult wrapped in there at the same time. To damn with faint praise. It's actually one of my favourite human tendencies, really. really. And um, so I got this email from Philippe. Hi, I'm Philippe. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I was listening to the last ones. I heard that an email to support you would be appreciated. So here it is. I can't imagine how much work you've got to deal with to make this great podcast. I wanted to thank you a lot for, for that. It's really good. As lots of people mentioned on Instagram, the Jamie Thomas one is brilliant. It's so good to hear from guys like him being so honest about what they deal with, the doubts, the questions that they have. We're so used to seeing successes from these guys since we see their videos and cover magazines and everything. But they went through a lot of things to get there and it's inspiring to hear that. I subscribed to his podcast too and listened to his first one with Chad Musker. Really good also. Anyway, just wanted to thank you for all your hard work. This is really good. Here it comes. Just one little thing though. I'm French and I'm used to American accents. Yours is sometimes hard for me to understand. I guess you won't change it, but could you try and sound a little bit less English? It would be really nice. You're probably thinking, ah, the French th folks always complaining. And you're right. Thanks again. Keep it real, Philippe. That might be my favourite ever email that I've received. So much about that that I like, especially the self-deprecation, the casual you know, kind of nationalism. Love it. Brilliant. Thanks, Philippe. Please, people, send me more of those. That made my day. Um, 
Anyway, that's it for this week. Should also mention the newsletter and show notes for new listeners because I have picked up a lot of listeners recently. Each episode of the show does come with extensive show notes if you want to dig a little deeper into the issues discussed on the show. You can find those over at www.wearelookingsideways.com. Um, then there's also my weekly five things newsletter in which I share the five things I think are worth sharing each week. Well, that was a mouthful. There's thousands of people receiving that email each week, which is fairly mental. I'm at the point where people are kind of pitching me to get in the newsletter, which is hilarious considering it takes me about 20 minutes every Friday um, and basically consists of me going, what did I look at this week that was kind of cool? That is currently the selection process for the newsletter. So anyway, it's getting more popular and people seem to be, um, from what I can tell from the from the stats and the open rates, people are enjoying it. Um, people are also unsubscribing from it. Always pretty funny when one, one of my mates unsubscribes, not realising that I can see that they've done it, but there you go. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. As ever, hit me up over at We Look Sideways on Instagram or podcast at We Are Looking Sideways to say hello like Philippe did or let me know what you thought of the last episode that you listened to. Nice one. Mm-hmm.